Let us pray. Most gracious Father, plant your word deep within us and guide us to yourself. Pour into us the gift of your spirit that we might know the gift of faith more deeply, that we might know what it means to trust you, to surrender ourselves to you, and to continually receive from you your redemption, your salvation, your refreshment and renewal. Enable us, O Lord, to know you more deeply and to be built up by you continually. All of this we do ask through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said earlier, today is the day of the ascension, a day that we set aside to remember that Christ ascended into heaven. But you may ask, what does that have to do with the feeding of the 5,000? That's a familiar enough story. The ascension isn't quite as familiar, but it is important. Both of these stories are Christ fulfilling what he has accomplished for us. I keep saying the day of the ascension, don't I? I mean the day of the transfiguration. Goodness, my mind is not where it needs to be right now. Today, the Feast of the Transfiguration, not the Ascension. That was right before Pentecost. The Feast of the Transfiguration, when Christ went up on the mountain. And it was revealed to the disciples with him, the divine glory. Through him, the divine glory shone forth. And so Jesus was transfigured before them showing who he was deep within, that he was both God and man. And here at the speeding of the 5,000, Jesus reveals who he is to the crowds. For who can do such great and glorious deeds as Jesus? Who can take a mere five loaves of bread and just a couple of small fish and use them to feed 5,000 men along with the women and children? Some estimate the crowd being as large as 10,000 people that day. And Jesus fed all of them, and there was food left over in abundance. What does all of that mean for us? What is Jesus doing in this moment that reveals who he is, that directs our eyes to know him as the Son of God, just as the transfiguration directs our eyes to know that he is truly the Son of God? In this extraordinarily familiar story, one of the things we may overlook is how it relates back to the Old Testament. Hopefully in our readings that we've heard today, in addition to the gospel, hearing the reading from Nehemiah and the reading from Psalm 78, that there's a deep embedded connection to the reality of the manna in the wilderness. But there is more than just that happening. What we see is that Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is his fulfilling the events of the Old Testament in a greater way. He is doing that, fulfilling those events in a new and glorious way, but he is also preparing us for a greater feeding that will come through his death and resurrection given to us in the Eucharist. To more fully appreciate that, I want us to step back and to hear a strange word that's not often used in 
in a layman kind of way. It's a word called typology. And what we're seeing here is Christ fulfilling a type, a regular occurrence in the Old Testament. The feeding of these 5,000 men and the women and children is an event deeply rooted in the Old Testament. This event is the fulfillment and a foreshadowing at the same time of God's provision for his people. We call this typology in theology. Typology is seeing prophetic significance in events in the Old Testament and then relating that to the significance of the work of God in Christ. So in other words, we're just recognizing patterns of God's actions, of God working for his people and using those events to make us see the greater action is needed, to help us see that God's greater actions flows from his previous actions. Many of these moments are in our minds without realizing what they are. Think about David and Jesus. Throughout scripture, we see them equated and brought together that Jesus is a greater David, that David was one who reigned over the people of Israel, who secures the safety of Israel from the Gentiles around them. He fights battles on Israel's behalf and secures their borders and protects them. He is a man who is king over the people of God. He strives to fulfill God's calling and is called a man after God's own heart. David foreshadows Jesus in that way. He becomes a picture of what the Messiah will do in the kingdom of God and that despite David's imperfections, And his not being the final Messiah, he is a type of Messiah. Showing how God is working in history to teach his people to long for a greater fulfillment. That that is but a small piece of what God is going to do through David. Likewise, Solomon and Jesus are connected. Solomon is a type, for he is the prince of peace, the king of peace, by his very name being connected to that Hebrew word for shalom, for peace. He allows the people to rest in the peace that his father had secured. And the people flourished under that peace. And though again Solomon fails in so many ways, that failure directs God's people to look to God for greater fulfillment, for greater things, for greater action on our behalf. He falls short in being the Messiah. But he is a type of Messiah that leads us to look for the true Messiah to come. And likewise, we all know of King Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Again, a king of peace coming to the people. But he's also the priest for the Most High God. He meets Abraham and blesses him. And Abraham gives to him a tenth of the spoils from the war that Abraham had just fought. We hear about Melchizedek all over the book of Hebrews, pointing us to Christ pointing us to a greater reality, a reality that is above and beyond the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, Melchizedek is such an impressive type that some think that he wasn't even a real man, that he was actually Christ himself, pre-incarnate, coming to Abraham, that he was a Christophany in the Old Testament because he parallels and points us toward the Son of God in such a deep and amazing way. But there are various events throughout the Old Testament that are also types that help us to understand what Jesus is doing right now. The exodus from Egypt is a type of the salvation that God will bring to us through Christ. That him bringing them out of Egypt is pointing them to the greater reality of their need 
for peace with God, of their need of salvation and redemption from the wickedness within. The sacrifices that God gives to his people are types that point them to the greater sacrifice that is needed. That the sacrifices of the Old Testament were having to be performed over and over and over. They're but shadows of what Christ will do, of the greater sacrifice that the Father will bring to this world to deal with the sin that separates us. Likewise, the Passover is a shadow and type of the Lord's Supper. All of these events are lodged in our minds, and we don't always think of them in these ways. But they are pointers toward a greater reality, toward a greater action of God for us. And this story of the feeding of the 5,000, of taking these five small loaves of bread and these two fishes, are a picture of the greatness of Christ fulfilling events from the Old Testament, of those events becoming prophetic and pointers toward a greater fulfillment. One event, there are multiple events. One of them is the flour and oil for the widow of Zarephath. Elijah went to her in the midst of the drought that was upon the northern kingdom because of Ahab's unfaithfulness. And he asked her for food, and she says, All I have is enough oil and flour to make one loaf of bread and for myself and my son, and then we're going to die. And he says, That flour and that oil will not run out as long as this drought is occurring. So provide me with food, and you will have food as well. And that flour and oil remained. It never ran out. It was multiplied above and beyond. Likewise, Elijah had been fed with by the ravens with bread and meat that God sent to him. God was providing for him. But then there are two events that especially stand out relating to this story. One is from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. In that, Elisha, the man of God, meets a man from Baal Shalashah. And this man brings to the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give it to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give it to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. There, 20 loaves of bread feeds 100 men. And then there is food left over for others. It's a moment of multiplication that we don't often hear about. That very much involves loaves of bread, just as Jesus multiplied the loaves of bread. And I think that it's interesting that there is that connection. Because John the Baptist is the Elijah of the New Testament. And who is the prophet that follows after John the Baptist that in, has, in a sense, a double portion of all the work that John could do, but is greater and more glorious? It is Jesus himself. And so it makes sense that Jesus would do things like Elisha. Elisha took bread and multiplied it. By the power of God, he made the bread feed a hundred men. And so I've always found that an interesting connection between Jesus and Elisha, just as there's a connection between John and Elijah. That Jesus is a greater Elisha. He does greater things than even Elisha did, who is so impressive when you read about him and all that he encounters and does. But even more so in our text today, 
This typology is brought out in connection to the manna in the wilderness. The people are grumbling and they're upset that they do not have enough food and they want to go back to Egypt again, complaining and wanting to return to the place of slavery because there in that slavery they believe that they will have more than they can have under God's freedom. And so what does God do? He sends quail to them first. That evening, quail comes sweeping in so that they can have their fulfillment of meat, that they can have meat to eat. And then he tells them the next morning when you awaken, the dew will have turned into bread and the people are to go out and collect whatever they need. Whatever they collect, they eat that day and they will have more than enough for that day. And they will do that day by day until the sixth day when they will gather a double portion. For the day after that is the <coughs> Sabbath. And they must rest on the Sabbath. And so they are to collect double what they normally would. And it will last through the end of the Sabbath for them on the sixth day. But here, the bread comes down from heaven, so to speak. The bread of angels is being fed to, the bread, to, the, to men. And when the people saw this dew that had turned into bread, they didn't know what it was, and so they said, What is it? And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. God provided bread in the wilderness for his people. There in the Old Testament, he created food for them. And likewise here, we have the very same thing happening in the wilderness. In a deserted place, the crowds had followed Jesus out. And they needed food after being with him all day. That is Jesus becoming the greater fulfillment of all these Old Testament events. That All these events are woven into history so that we can look back and see that God is at work in glorious ways and that all of these are to point us to what Christ would do for his people. These aren't random events happening throughout the Old Testament, but they are events purposely placed there by God the Father in his working in this world to cause us to know that he is the true God, <coughs> that he is at work on our behalf. And Jesus provides an even greater amount. He takes a mere five loaves, and turns it into enough food for upwards of 10,000 people. And it is Jesus himself who does this. In the Old Testament, Moses didn't cause the bread to come into existence. God did, and Moses was the spokesperson for God. Moses said, God is going to do this. But Jesus merely blesses the bread and the fish, and then gives it to his disciples, and then gives, through the disciples, gives it to the people. And it never runs out. The shadows coming into daylight here. That what Jesus does is greater and more glorious than what Moses could do. Simply telling the people that God would provide for them. Jesus provides directly for these people, fulfilling all these stories and all these glorious things. And so why does he do that, though? What drives him to this moment? And for that, we'll look directly into our text and... Matthew 14. Jesus here says, er, Matthew writes that Jesus heard of John the Baptist's death and so he goes to leave. He goes to go to a desolate place to be on his own, to pray because his cousin had died a most brutal death. He had been beheaded by Herod the king. 
And when we look at the other stories, Herod is becoming more curious about Jesus. Who is this man who is performing miracles greater than what John the Baptist did? John the Baptist merely preached and drew the people into repentance. Here is a man who is not only preaching and bringing people to repentance, but he is performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And so Jesus withdraws and goes to be by himself, but he can't be. The crowds hear where he is going and they follow after him for they are excited. They want to know him. They want to see him. They want to be near to him. And when he came ashore, going to a desolate place to be on his own, he saw a great crowd, it says in verse 14. And then it says, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus, in the midst of his grief over his own cousin being put to death, sets that aside in order to care for God's people. He takes his great need and sets it aside so that he can then do the work that God had called him to do in that moment, which is to heal the sick. He has compassion upon them. And so he does all of this work in this moment out of great and deep compassion for his people. For elsewhere it says they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are sheep who do not know what is going on. They are sheep who do not have the correct and proper guidance in their lives. And so Jesus shows compassion, a deep emotional response to their brokenness and their need that flows out of the very center of his being. And then when evening had come, when it was getting later in the day, the disciples said, this is the wilderness, it's desolate, send them away. But Jesus says, no, they're here with me. This is where they need to be. They can be in no better place than to be near me. So feed them, you give them food. And they confess that they are unable. They only have five loaves. But Jesus says, that's enough. That's more than enough for what I am going to do. Out of his compassion, he multiplies this bread and this fish to create food for the people, to make enough for them to feast upon. And he makes them to sit down on the grass. When I hear that, it caused me this week to suddenly think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie in green pastures. To dwell near brooks of water. There Jesus acts as the shepherd for these people. He makes them to sit down upon the grass. That they can receive the food that they need. That they can receive the nourishment that they need. That they can receive... Jesus' blessings upon them. He acts as a true shepherd through his compassion to make them sit upon that grass and receive this bread and this fish. And what does he do? He looks into heaven and he prays a prayer of blessing over it. He asks God to make it become what it needs to be to fulfill the needs of the people. He thanks God for bringing them to him. And then he gives it to his disciples, and through his disciples, they go out to give it to the crowds. The one thing I've always wondered about is, what did this look like? Did they just have a few crumbs in a bunch of baskets, a few pieces of fish and a couple chunks of bread, and they just were handing it out, and it just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and then somehow it just multiplied and filled the baskets up as they were going along? What did it look like for these meager loaves to suddenly fill up entire baskets so that when all was done, they had 12 full baskets of broken pieces left over. But regardless of what it looked like, it was a beautiful moment 
of nourishment, a beautiful moment of provision, a beautiful moment of Jesus being the Messiah, of him revealing his divine nature, bringing out of nothing something into being. For that is what he does. That bread is almost nothing to satisfy the needs of the people. And yet, through Jesus' power, through his being the Messiah, through his being the Son of God incarnate in human flesh, he makes that bread become something that can provide for nearly 10,000 people at the end of the day. And he gives it to them, and it all comes from his compassion. But lastly, I want us to reflect on what this points us toward now. And Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and the women and children, it points us to a greater fulfillment that we need. We need something greater than just a daily bread, a daily moment of being fed with physical bread. And I think that this points us toward the reality of the Eucharist, that this feeding of the 5,000 becomes a shadow of the Eucharist, of what Christ will do by feeding us with himself. That in that moment, he is providing physical nourishment, but he desires to provide spiritual nourishment for us. In fact, John tells us the events that happened after this feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, the people continue to follow after him. And he tells them that you're only after me because I gave you bread for a day. Moses gave you bread from heaven in the Old Testament. But I tell you, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread who has come down from heaven. And whoever eats on my flesh and drinks of my blood will have life in him. That Christ immediately in John 6 directs our eyes toward a greater reality than just merely being fed with physical bread. We are called to be fed with the very spiritual body and blood of Christ himself. That at the Last Supper... He took that bread and he broke it and said, this is my body and gave it to his disciples. He lifted up that chalice of wine and blessed it and said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And in that he began giving life to his disciples in a new way. He began giving himself to them through that bread and wine and it continues down to this very day. That through the bread and wine, we are being spiritually nourished and built up and prepared for the week ahead, prepared for all the work that the Lord is sending us out to do. In many ways, this feeding of the 5,000, as Chad Bird says, is a moment of anticipation toward the Lord's Supper. And we see a picture there as, as the people partake continually more and more, they are receiving this bread and it keeps filling up and giving them more so that they can eat their fill likewise. With the Lord's Supper, we come, and as we partake, there is always more of Christ to be received. That we are called to receive him more and more to ourselves. And he promises to give himself to us. That's why we come to receive, is because he has promised to give himself to us. Our coming to receive does not cause him to be here for us. Our action does not bring Jesus to us. Jesus' promise brings Jesus to us. Jesus' promise is to give himself to us through that bread and wine. Just as he fulfilled the needs of these 5,000 men and the women and the children there in the wilderness by giving them physical bread to eat, physical fish to eat, providing them with physical nourishment. 
He promises to provide us with all the spiritual nourishment we need through his body and blood. Through his being, God made flesh. Through his going to the cross and dying for our sins. Through his being raised back to life. And then ascending into heaven to be at the throne of God. To sit upon the throne of God as a man in human flesh. As a God who has put on human flesh forever. And from there he feeds us with himself. From there he gives us more than 12 baskets of food for later. He gives us himself to fill us up spiritually, to renew us and to guide us always to himself. And so out of Jesus' compassion, he not only feeds these sheep who do not have a shepherd and becomes their shepherd, but out of his compassion, he feeds us sheep who are in desperate need of his shepherding with himself. He lays down his life to give it to us, to pour that life into us. And he feeds us with that life through the bread and wine of communion. Through the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, we are fed by his body and blood. And that this event of feeding these 5,000 anticipates that and it drives us to look forward to what is the greater fulfillment of Jesus' actions in this moment. What is he wanting us to look forward to? And he wants us to look forward to his salvation placed in us by his feeding us with himself through the bread and wine of the Eucharist. And so this day, may we receive the compassion of Christ. May we know that he is a God for us, that he is the God of all creation, that he is the redeemer of us all, God in human flesh feeding us with himself through the bread and wine. That in that moment of him feeding a massive group of people with physical bread and physical fish, that in that moment he is directing our eyes to a greater need that we have. That we don't just have a physical need, but we have a deep-seated spiritual need to be fed with Christ himself, and that spiritual need can only be fulfilled by Christ himself. And so in his compassion, he gives us himself. In his compassion, he gives to us his body and blood through the bread and wine that has been blessed, that has had his promises placed upon it. And he has promised to always feed us, to always give to us that which we need, and to renew us over and over to go forth knowing him, to go forth following him in the strength of himself. For as he gives us that life, he gives us his strength, and his strength empowers us to be transformed, to be changed, and to be renewed over and over so that we can over and over go forth in joy and go forth in rejoicing.